Well, this morning we start a new preaching series through the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. <clears throat> this morning we'll be inter- uh, setting the context of the book, try to get your heads around it before we dive in, uh, but we'll look at the first couple verses. Before we do so, though, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer um, and ask His blessing upon the reading, the hearing, the preaching of that word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, our Father, we come again before you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have appropriately humble hearts. Uh, Lord, what a privilege we have in being in your presence. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would indeed give us ears to hear and eyes to see and open hearts to receive from you now, Lord, what you have to give us. We pray, arrest our attentions. And Lord, help us to remove all the distractions that uh, that, that, that swirl around in our minds and in our spirits and help us to re- hear and receive uh, and to focus, Lord. Uh, by your power, we pray, help us to bend our lives and our wills towards you. We do pray, Lord, that the instrument of your word, even now this morning in the meditations of all of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. We ask this all, <clears throat> God's people say in Christ's name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'll be reading the first seven verses of Daniel, <clears throat> as I said, just to set the stage or set the, the tone for the book. <clears throat> so please give your full attention now to God's word from Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the kings commanded Ashpenaz, chief, uh, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. And Mishael he called uh, Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So far the reading of God's word. May he indeed add his blessing upon it as we look at it now. Well, as I said, we begin through this new book, Daniel, this Old Testament prophet. Um, And as we look at this book, we have to acknowledge uh, that it's one of the books uh, that is very misused uh, throughout history, right? misused in various ways. Um, some have misused it uh, and, and, and fallen into the, uh, the ditch of moralism, right? Just look at these as moralistic examples. Dare to be a Daniel, you may have heard. Um, or the other side of that, or the other pole might be sensationalistic, speculative, end times hysteria. And of course, on the back of and the notes portion of your liturgy, um, I put the title "Dare to Be a Disciple," right, or a follower of Christ, um, to kind of 
combat that kind of a tongue-in-cheek way. What we should actually be focusing on that is the Lord and His faithfulness rather than our um, imperfect works. Um, but being a follower of Christ, right? That's our, our primary focus is Him, not my trying to do something, right? Our primary focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us that He is to be found in the book of Daniel, right? From His own lips uh, in Luke chapter 24, He says, uh, this is, of course, on the, the road to Emmaus, and he's walking with these individuals, and he gives them the, the first crash course in biblical theology. Right? He says, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Right, and we look at these verses, we look at this verse, and we have to remember, I'm sure all of you are aware, we've talked about this a number of times in the past, um, the three divisions of the Old Testament, of the, the Hebrew Bible at the time of the apostles, Jesus would have quoted them, um, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Um, and so in that same chapter when Jesus references this, beginning with Moses and the prophets, this is shorthand for all of Scripture. And indeed later he says with uh, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, right, which is the first book of the writing section, right? And so Christ uh, tells them that all Scripture is about Him. And then speaking to the blind, obstinate Jews of His day, in John 5, Jesus says this to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me, He says. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. And then in Acts 24, I'm sorry, Acts 28, verse Uh, starting verse 23, we read this. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. From what? Both from the law and Moses and from the prophets. Right. So this is another reference to all of Scripture. And so our aspiration and our desire through this uh, this and every book of Scripture, of course, is to avoid some of the misguided uh, approaches that some strains and traditions in the Christian family tree have put forth, right? And to seek Jesus in all of Scripture, particularly the prophet uh, Daniel um, at this time. And so I encourage you, as we go through this uh, book, this Old Testament book, the prophet Daniel, um, whilst we are going through it, to be reading Daniel, uh, read, be reading through it, right? Be, be, be in the same passages that we're reading. Read it, read ahead, review, uh, and repeat, right? You'll benefit much more greatly from it if you do that and saturate uh, your mind <clears throat> and memory with uh, what's going on um, as we preach through, as I preach through this. And that'll help us get the most, help you get the most out of the ministry of the word here and get that word into you, which is all important. And so as we approach the book, we, I, I would, my prayer is and my desire is that uh, you would look for the glory and the wonder of the Creator, right? The Lord of all things. Huge things like kingdoms and time and small things like the minute details of His creatures' lives. And we'll see as we do so that God is not only powerful and in control, but He's faithful and just. And so let's look this morning as we begin and we set the context and we get acclimated to what's going on. We'll look at the background of Daniel and then a breakdown of Daniel, how it breaks down, and then the beginning of Daniel. We'll look at the first, begin to look at the first couple of verses, and we'll pick up next week. 
But as we do so, ultimately we'll hear of the one and only, the living and the true God of power and sovereignty and faithfulness. This one who, by the working of Christ, gives us hope in our waiting. Hope in our waiting for his return. Okay? And so first we're going to look at the background of Daniel. Uh, It's important to point out as we do this, that Daniel comes to us, as I said, in that third section of the Old Covenant, the Hebrew Bible, the writings, right? The writings. Um, These are the books that deal with covenant life, right? The law, the prophets, and the writing deal, correspond with the covenants, and then covenant history, and then covenant life. This is in the covenant life portion of Scripture, of the Old Testament. Daniel is, uh, this, this covenant life section instructs us how we are to think and live in light of the covenants, how to think and live. And so we look at this and we see that Daniel is a wisdom figure, right? He's going to live wisely, right? He's going to live wisely in Babylon. He's going to overcome adversity. He's going to help the king. He does all these amazing things. He interprets dreams. He's an amazing figure. Uh, In our English Bibles, you'll notice that he comes after the major prophets, what we refer to as the major prophets, right? You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel, we put him there because he does some apocalyptic, apocalyptic things, like again, having these dreams and these visions, and then he interprets the dreams, right? There's stuff about the future in there. But Daniel's also unlike those writing prophets, right? He's dissimilar from them as well. Uh, the writing prophets, as you likely know, were covenant lawyers bringing the covenant lawsuit, right? Executing that lawsuit, that lawsuit of God against the people, for their unfaithfulness. And Daniel doesn't really do any of that. He's different in that way. He has one function function in chapter 9, which is to pray a prayer of confession on behalf of his people, those who deserve to be in exile. And and, and he prays that God would look, look to them, look upon them and have mercy upon them and bring them home from exile. Now, that's not necessarily a purely prophetic activity, but he is a prophet. He's not one of the writing prophets in the sense of that legal capacity of the lawsuit, but the writing prophets are lawsuit prophets, right? Daniel is not a lawsuit prophet like that. He's a wisdom guy living in exile. right? And it's interesting to note uh, that in, in that Old Covenant Hebrew Bible, as I said, Daniel's in that writing section. And what's also in that writing section? is the book of Esther, right? He appears along with Esther. And both of these books are examples of what it looks like to live the life of faith in exile, right? A life of faith in exile. Then we have Lamentations, the book of Lamentations in this section, the writings as well. Lamentations, of course, is a theology of exile at the fall of Jerusalem, right? Lamenting this fall in this exile. And this is what life is going to look like, right? A life of waiting and hoping and trusting in God and His mercy, right? And I think we can relate to that even in our time, waiting, trusting, hoping in God for His mercy, for His return, for His sustenance, um, and that He would exercise His sovereignty and mercy um, upon we, His people. And so Esther does this as well, right? Remember, she puts her life on the line, and that that line, the well-known line from uh, the book of Esther, if I perish, I perish, right? Daniel's going to do the same thing, as you know, as you remember uh, you're familiar with most of those major stories, um, events that happen in the life of Daniel. 
and his friends, right? Think of uh, the time when they, uh, were, they, they, they put the diet that was opposed on them to the test in chapter 1. And their penalty of harm, they challenged that. And we'll look at that next week. Or when they have to bow down to this golden statue, or they're forbidden from praying, and therefore have to, they're, they're throwing the lion's den. Right? We're going to see Daniel being faithful under death. But ultimately, it's the faithfulness of God uh, that shines forth, and that should be our focus, um, ultimately, and grounding all of that. And so, as we look at Daniel, as we begin to dip our toe into what's in, in this, uh, this complex book, um, what else is going on in the history, right? In historic, what's going on at the time Daniel is in uh, exile and <clears throat> the book of Daniel comes from? Well, Daniel and Ezekiel were contemporaries, right? The great prophet Ezekiel. Daniel comes to Babylon about 10 years before Ezekiel gets there. Um, Daniel gets there about 605 B.C., uh, and that's the first deportation. And then he goes to school for three years, as we read in, as we read in Daniel, uh, three years in Babylon. And then he ro- rose to prominence when Ezekiel got there, right? He's probably already likely in charge when Ezekiel gets there. And so we look at this and we see both Daniel and Ezekiel contain apocalyptic literature. And we see also that Daniel, uh, he's both a, a prophet and a wisdom figure, right? But he's also a statesman, right? A statesman. And so he's got all these kinds of things going on here with Daniel. Um, and Daniel, of course, is in exile there for 70 years, right? Basically his whole life. And that's when his mission takes place, right? His calling as he follows the Lord, as he commands him. And so we don't have to lay out, we don't have time to lay out all that's going on um, there and all these amazing connections and all the divine ordering in God's, uh, of God's word and history. It is there and it's wonderful for us to look at, uh, but we need to be more focused. And we do need to, uh, for background's sake and for our optimal understanding, to know that Daniel or how the, how the author of Daniel is portraying him in the narrative. Right? What are we to think of Daniel in, in the way that, it's, that, that he writes and uh, you know, that it's written? Um, and we have to remember that God is, of course, always merciful and caring and aware of our weaknesses and our slowness to understand and to remember. And that we are terribly tethered to this physical earth, right? these physical things, and what we experience with our senses. God is not, is not foreign to the Lord. And one of the ways that he helps us to remember and grows our trust in him and our comfort from him is what? It's by laying down patterns throughout redemptive history, right? Laying down patterns and repeating himself historically and therefore in his word and the record of redemptive history, right? We see these patterns. Um, and so think for a moment when, you, uh, when you're reading Daniel or think of your remembrance of Daniel even in the moment right now uh, and over the next weeks and months, what's happening in Daniel? We see in Daniel's life a very close pattern, modeling, if you will, of another person's life uh, earlier in Scripture, right? Who is it that we see, like Daniel, is in a wisdom narrative, who rises to prominence, who interprets dreams and all that kind of stuff? Well, Daniel's life is modeled after the life of Joseph, right? Joseph, back in Genesis 37 and forward, right? He's, this is what his life is patterned after. And consider these ways, uh, I'll submit to you, uh, how they are similar, how they correspond, the lives of Daniel and Joseph to one another. <clears throat> Daniel, both Daniel and Joseph, were deported as young men 
right, to a foreign land, an enemy land, right? Joseph goes where? To Egypt. Uh, Daniel goes to Babylon. And it's interesting that these two figures and these two places are the quintessential enemies of the people of God, right? Egypt and Babylon, right? And the next, both Joseph and Daniel, they prosper as state officials based on what? Their God-given abilities. They both prosper as state officials. Um, and then also both Daniel and Joseph are observed as being um, uh, handsome in appearance or good-looking, right? Or, uh, um, yeah, handsome in appearance, right? Both of them, this little thing that's mentioned about them. And this thing gets both of them in trouble, uh, as we remember Potiphar's wife. Uh, there's other similarities there. Um, both of these men advance to second-in-command over the state based on God-given ability to what? Interpret dreams from kings of the land. Both Joseph and Daniel are trapped by their integrity and subject to the punishment of the state because of that. Both men escape the fate of death and are promoted to higher stations subsequent to that trap that they escaped, that the Lord uh, delivered them from. Both Joseph and Daniel provide some examples of what it means to live a life of faith uh, when it seems like God is no longer in control of the situation. Right? Both men, you could see, are in situations of despair, um, but they give us an example um, by the working of the Lord and through his strength of what it looks like to live a life of faith, even in that chaotic time. And again, I don't need to draw the connections to our time. Right? There's no time where the people of God um, uh, don't need to be encouraged by this. God is in control, even in a world that's seemingly spiraling out of control. Um, both Daniel and Joseph look forward to a return to Canaan as the land of promise. And both Daniel and Joseph die in exile. And in all of this, brothers and sisters, right? in all of these details, we must see a really incredible and striking display of God's power and detail in his sovereign working out of things in his creation. Things that he would take such care Right? There's just a thought that he would take such care and such precision in the unfolding of his plan and the ordering and preserving of his, uh, these things in his word. It's just mind-boggling. Right? It boggles the mind if we think about it um, just for a moment. And as we do so, right, you, the people of God, uh, this should warm our hearts right, and give us hope and encouragement in the details of your lives. And I pray that it does that, brothers and sisters. We must recognize and acknowledge these things in our minds and our hearts and return him praise and worship uh, that he is due. And so all throughout history, we see the Lord is setting the stage for what? For the promised Christ to come and accomplish redemption for his people. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing uh, to think about and an awesome truth. And so we see there, um, again, the uh, this background of Daniel. And then we look for a moment at the a breakdown of, of Daniel. Right, how the passage breaks, how the book um, is, is structured. It's divided in two halves, right? Chapters 1 to 6, and then chapter 7 to 12. That first section, chapters 1 to 6, uh, what we have there is, is uh, the life of faith in exile. Right? This is biographical material. Right? It's third-person narrative style, discussing what goes on with, or we read there about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And then the second part, verses uh, chapters 7 to 12, we see that there is, uh, if 1 to 6 talked about life, the life of faith in exile, verses 7 to 12 talk about the hope of faith in exile, the hope of faith. 
in exile. So that's where Daniel has those apocalyptic visions, right? These fantastic and amazing uh, visions um, that Daniel has. And that second section is written in a first-person kind of style, right? It says, uh, repeats, I, Daniel, right? And then it talks about um, the visions that he had. And we'll talk more about these haves um, as we go forward, um, as is called for, that we understand them a little better, right? We'll talk about that they're written in two different languages, right? It's written, um, Daniel's written both in Hebrew and Aramaic. There's a big Aramaic chunk in the middle of it. We'll talk about why that is and what's going on. Um, of course, Aramaic was the language, uh, was the universal language at the time. It was the language of commerce. And so when he's, there's an address to all the people, it's to, and not just uh, the Hebrews, the Jews, it's to, it's in Aramaic. Um, and we'll talk about what's going on as we go. If the book of Daniel can be boiled down to a single point, a single message, brothers and sisters, it's just that what I mentioned a moment ago. It's that God is sovereign. God is absolute. He's powerful over all of history. All of history. And we see this most definitively what? Um, having, the, the, having the advantage of having um, the whole of the word of God, the whole of God's revelation. Um, we have the, uh, the, the privilege of seeing that this is most definitively seen, right? God's sovereignty, his absoluteness, his absolute power over all of history. We see it most definitively in what? In the fact that Christ conquers all of his enemies, right? We know how it ends. He conquers his enemies and he completely redeems his people at the end of time, fully, right? It's a wrap, so to speak. Um, and so that is the place, right? Christ conquering death, conquering all of his enemies, redeeming his people at the end of time. That's the very place that Daniel points uh, towards, right? That's, that's, that's the place towards which Daniel ultimately points. These ultimate things, the satisfaction, fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Um, one commentator said this of Daniel. He said, Daniel stands at the intersection between the Testaments and at the crossroads of history. And he goes on, he says, Daniel helps provide the necessary preparation for an understanding of the ministry of Jesus, right? We are, we are a whole Bible people, right? It's the book of God for the people of God. It's our book, all of it. And we can make sense of it, and it all points to Christ, right? Daniel's prophecy, again, um, around 536 B.C., bridges this gap between Israel's uh, history, right? Old covenant history, and the time between the Testaments. It bridges this gap, uh, which is a time of extended trial for Israel, Right? It's not an easy time. But this leads to the Messianic age. Right? This leads to, leads to the coming of Christ in the fulfillment and the glorious declarations. Right? Think in the birth narratives of Christ. The praise, right? the overwhelming praise and songs that burst forth. Praising God for having mercy on His people and fulfilling all that He had promised in the coming of Christ. Right? Luke 168, Zechariah says, he, has, he praises God. He has come and accomplished redemption for His people. Right? After all that silence. Amazing. Glorious. It was a time uh, that points ahead to the culmination of all of human history. Right? So it bridges the gap and it points to the end. Right? We talk about that, uh, the, the ultimate consummatory perspective of things. And all of it certainly directed by a sovereign God of promise and fulfillment. Right? Promise and fulfillment. He is all-powerful, he's all-good, he promises, and he fulfills. Right? He's the creator and the consummator. 
the Lord. And so let us remember as we work through Daniel, even as we work through Zechariah, right, a while, a while ago now, we must resist the temptations to speculation and man-made formulations about this book and about the prophecies and about the visions, right, and tying them in and forcing them someplace where they're not going. God's word is to elicit awe and wonder from his people. Awe and wonder. It is to give hope while waiting, right? While waiting in not our true homeland, which is heaven. To give us hope while we are here, awaiting his second coming in our resurrection bodies, right? As we await that promise, hope in waiting for what he has promised to his people. Right? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about, brothers and sisters. That should warm, warm your, 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 uh, and enliven your spirits, right? As we think about these things. And my prayer is that we will, um, resist the temptation to see these glorious truths as, uh, with a ho-hum of indifference, right? They're amazing and they are for you, his people. And they should never be met with a yawning indifference. This is the glory, right? And the promise of the Christian life. Um, for us, for you, his people. If you belong to him, how can this not warm your heart, right? And stir your blood and spirit, right? This should get you excited. His love for you, all that he has done for you, his people. And so let's now, uh, very briefly, <clears throat> with the time we have left, we'll turn uh, to verses 1 and 2 of Daniel 1, and we'll look at the beginning of Daniel, right? We've seen the, the background um, <clears throat> and the breakdown of Daniel. Now let's look at the beginning of Daniel, these first couple of verses. Um, we'll point out a few things before we close. Uh, once more, Daniel 1.1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Again, we'll look closer at this in the rest of Daniel 1 next week. But for now, two quick observations. We see in these verses, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> history, right? History being given from two distinct frames of reference or two distinct viewpoints, right? The first viewpoint is what? It's man's viewpoint. History from the perspective of man, from man's vantage point. The big point of Daniel is that the Lord God is sovereign over all that he has created, everything that exists. God alone is eternal, right? God alone is eternal. All that exists was created by the word of his power. From the galaxies to the molecules, all of it is his. And this includes what? Kings and kingdoms of men. Right? Kings and kingdoms of man of this earth. And again, I don't need to draw the connection to you that this is extraordinarily helpful and encouraging right now where we are in history. Right? And the absolute disasters that are the nations of the world and the havoc that has been wreaked on mankind here and around the world. Right? It's good to know that God is in control. It's good to be reminded that God is in control more so than the, the wickedness of man. If we didn't have this hope, I don't know how we would go on. But it is true, uh, and it is a hope that we should have and be encouraged by. Um, but the point of verses 1 and 2 is how God's people are to view human history. 
how we are to view human history. And it gives us this, the, the, the glasses, so to speak, right? How we as, as the people of God are to perceive history. Again, in the third year, verse one, of the reign of King Jehoiakim, King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Right? So what do we have there? Names, dates, geographic locations, events. And we need to connect Daniel to the time in which he wrote, right? Always, rem- always asking the question, where are we? What time is it in redemptive history? <clears throat> in the context of Jehoiakim's reign was uh, follow- followed, um, of course, naturally, of the reign of his godly father, Josiah, right? Josiah. We're not going to give a whole history of the kings of Judah now, but despite the reforms that godly Josiah Sought to brought, uh, sought to bring in regard to worship, to bring worship back to how God commanded. In spite of that, despite that, it was like building a wall in wet sand near the, near the ocean, right? You can build all you want, but in the end, it's inescapably going to be destroyed. And it was the same with Josiah's kingdom following his reign, right? We read about this in 2 Kings 23. And we'll place that in firmer context next week, but for now, as we together and as individually we're reading at home and we come and we hear uh, the preaching, let's fix the broad picture of events in our minds, right? It was 604 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes down and he installed Jehoiakim as his puppet king for three years. In his reign, Jehoiakim, that's jo- jo- Josiah's son, was one of wickedness and injustice. The apple certainly fell far from the tree in this regard. And Nebuchadnezzar, he also took captives, including Daniel, and carried away holy vessels from the temple that we just read about in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 1. And in less than 20 years from then, the exile was complete. The exile was complete. Again, we have geography, titles, names, dates. This is man's perspective of history. There's not a ton of hope in waiting with man's viewpoint alone, right? Not a lot of hope in waiting, merely, only, solely from the perspective of man looking at history. But praise God, right? Praise God. That's not the only viewpoint that we have here. In verse 2, Daniel proclaims history from God's viewpoint, the viewpoint of the Lord God Almighty. In verse 2 says, listen, and the Lord, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. You see the difference there? You see the first perspective? In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In verse 2, the Lord gave the king of Judah into his hand right, with some of the vessels. There are two ways of seeing the same event. You see that? Two ways. And if you don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and have not been born again by the Holy Spirit, you and one who has not or one who has, see the same world history in two completely opposite ways. Because you interpret the facts differently, right? Your worldview is different. You don't believe, you don't know these things. And the Bible says that it's nat- that there is a natural mind and a spiritual mind. The natural mind, Scripture says, cannot understand the spirit unless what? Unless the Lord gives you new life and new eyes. To understand. And so in verse 1, Daniel recounts the history that everyone could see. 
from the perspective of man that all could see. But in verse 2, he shows God's viewpoint. He shows God's viewpoint. And it says, And the Lord, Adonai, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave. And the Lord even announced these things in this book. But he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to bring this holy furniture, the vessels from his house in the temple where, it says, to the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar. Right, to the house of his God, Marduk, and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. And it's interesting if you're paying attention, why does he, why does he use uh, the, the name Shinar, to the land of Shinar? Why doesn't he say that Nebuchadnezzar took these things to Babylon, right, which was the name of his kingdom? Why does he say the land of Shinar? Well, Shinar, of course, is the older name, the older term of that kingdom, which it draws directly back to the Genesis uh, narrative, right? The account in Genesis and the Tower of Babel or Babylon, right? Genesis 15, I'm sorry, uh, 11, right? They built this Tower of Babel in the plains of Shinar, right? And so as the kingdom rose uh, east of where, the, where Eden once was, and as a sign of its independence from God, they built this massive tower or ziggurats is the, the technical term, Symbolically to what? To reach to heaven on their own in opposition to God. And why does Daniel bring back all these memories and make these connections all the way back to Genesis 11? It's all to show that from God's viewpoint, this historical struggle between Babylon and Jerusalem was really a struggle between man's satanically inspired kingdoms and God's kingdom. But why would God ever allow such evil to fall upon his people? That's the question that we all ask, the natural question that we ask. Well, in this instance, over in 2 Kings chapter 24, we read that the Lord sent against Jehoiakim and Judah bands of their enemies to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to his servants, the prophets. Right? But why? Again, 2 Kings tells us it was to remove the sin of King Manasseh out of God's sight, right? Because of the sin of Manasseh. God is holy. God is just. God is pure. Sin cannot exist in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. He does not abide sin. And remember, right? God has spoken back in his law of certain sins and curses for those sins. Right in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, the fountainhead of understanding all the prophets. Right, is that those covenant that covenant that was made there? And Manasseh's sin was the climactic event of that historical time. The Old Testament makes clear that God brings judgment on nations, whether Israel or the Gentile nations, for their sins. God is just; He doesn't look the other way. Daniel proclaims that history. And he proclaims that that history is God's. It's God's story. Now, now, in case we get lost in all the scattering of these details, in all the setting of what we've been talking about, let's draw our focus back um, just for a moment. right? Uh, God does not uh, give us f- a filler material in His Word. Right? Like when we write a report in college, perhaps we want to 
you know, bump it out to the right number of pages or the right number of words. We might add some things in that are just filler material. Not so with the Word of God. Right? He preserves perfectly. He gives, he authors, and he preserves that word perfectly as he would have us uh, to have it. Right? It is all here for us, all of it, for us, for our good. It's not about you, but it's for you. It speaks of Jesus, the Savior. And that word points to what? It's the proclamation, the declaration of a triune God who set in motion his plans before time to save a people for himself. And in time, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, enters into that creation. And he lived the perfect life and he suffered and he died for those people, his people. And he rose again and ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, enthroned in glory. All to what? To accomplish the salvation of those people that the Father planned before time to save. Glorious. And then the Holy Spirit applies that accomplished redemption to those people. He gives them faith to believe. And when we read the, de- when we read the details and the historical setting of the prophet Daniel and the details of that book, we can never lose sight of these glorious truths. These glorious truths that undergird all of Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ is the culmination and the fulfillment of all of it. Of all of it. God has been working from before time to bring his people home. And in the suffering and the stuff and the struggles of this life that we all have, in our waiting and hoping while waiting, because we know, brothers and sisters, that he will complete what he had begun in those who've entrusted themselves on Christ. And so let us go forth from here, dear Christian, refreshed by his promise and his love. And let us go renewed in strength. Let us go with that renewed strength and excitement for the salvation won for us by our Savior. Oh, what a joy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Indeed, let's pray. Our almighty and loving God, we praise you that you have not left us without instruction or direction in this life, especially regarding how we are to approach you in worship and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you've been kind to us and sought us and called us to yourself and cleansed us in Jesus. We thank you that you have established for us, indeed for our weak and feeble souls, the means of grace to remind us, to seal to us, to communicate to us again the benefits of all that Christ won for us. Father, we are a weak people in and of ourselves. And we thank you that you meet us in that weakness, that you listen to us in your word, that you give to us things that we need for our growth, for our focus, for your glory. We pray, Lord, Continue to tune our hearts for glory as we await His second coming uh, and the restoral, the renewal of all things. Father, we pray this morning here as Your people for the households that are represented here. We pray, Father, that You would bless us and strengthen us. Grant to us Your Spirit to faithfully serve You and live for You in the roles that You placed us. Father, we pray for our children here this morning. We pray that You would indeed bless them as yours, Lord, guide us 
to model for them and to teach them the most valuable thing that we have, and that's the truth of the gospel and the life we have in Christ. It's available to them as well. Father, we pray for your people, whatever struggles we may be enduring in this life, we pray that we would see that you, our God and King, are faithful and gracious to us and that you are our sure refuge amidst it all, even unto glory. Lord, we pray work through us, even us, to be a light of Christ in this world in this city and beyond. Father, we pray, provide for our needs, especially uh, this year following such uh, unsettling times. Lord, help us to better uh, establish our our hearts and our focus on you uh, in the purity of the gospel. Direct our ways, we pray, Lord. We pray for this church. Be merciful to us. Strengthen us spiritually. Protect us physically. Conform us evermore to the image of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, your Son. For it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.